0: Hey, welcome to our third week in the ICNU series. So the first thing I want to do is uh, look back at the camera because there's folks joining us online. Uh, they, they are on Facebook Live, on our app and watching and all that stuff. But also, there's a group over at the Tuscarawas County Jail Campus, men and women, who we meet with every week. And hey, guys, I need you to welcome them in like you've never done it before. Let's do it. Welcome you guys in. We love you over at the Tuscarawas County Jail. Come on. You're part of our church family. We love you guys. Man. God's doing some really cool things. I get constant testimonies of how God's just working in in really cool ways. Hey, uh, go ahead uh the third thing uh, in that message guide that you got when you're coming in is a uh is notes. So grab those uh and we're going to jump right into into the word. Uh we've been walking through Acts and uh we're going to be going to Acts chapter 2 if you got your old-fashioned Bible or if you want to pull it up on your uh iPhone, your droid, whatever you got, your Google Pixel, uh whatever translation you're going to go to. So um, and how many, uh, how many of you been to a Cavs game this year? How many of you went to a Cavs game in 2016? No? Okay, we've got a couple. How many wish you would have gone to a Cavs game in 2016? Okay, all right, there's a few. Okay, there's a big difference between the Cavs in 2016 and the Cavs today. Uh, my my, uh, my first game uh, was <laughs> is a funny story. So when we moved back to Tuscaloosa County, it was um, we, we lived in Toledo uh, for uh, for years, uh, and we're moving back here. And I was trying to get a job, and I got a job. Now, I won't give you any details. I'll just save you. In the first week at my job, they gave me uh, they invited me to go to a Cavs game uh, to watch the first time LeBron was here. Uh, you, okay, you remember that time before he just, like, left us all? And uh, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a big LeBron fam, fan, I'm just, I'm not, he's, anyways, I, I won't sit there for too long, he's just not the best there ever has been. There is one goat, and that one goat will always be the goat. Um, amen. See, somebody knows the names. Okay, so I went to the, the first time I got there, there's a, lot, there's a lot that happened in that story, but the first game, I'll never forget going in there. Uh, it was there was there was an electric feeling like you get in there like this is like there was intensity it was sold out and it, we walked in there and I mean it was it was amazing to experience that energy um, and then then I, I went uh, a couple years ago when LeBron wasn't there anymore. He had left us and gone to Miami. And I remember walking in, and there was like, with I, I, the first time I went, I had to sit up in the higher nosebleed area. The second time, I was like four or five rows up from courtside, because they were cheap, right? And there was kind of like a ho-hum about the game. Why, why was there, why, what was the difference between those two games? The one... There was an expectation that we were going to win, and even an anticipation that we could even win the championship. We didn't. We didn't win it that year, but, but we, we did in 2016. In fact, I did some little research. In 2016, the average attendance at home, at the home games, was 21,000 people were there. And the next year, after LeBron left, was 19,000 was the average attendance, and that was when ticket prices dropped by 9%. There's just, there was just a difference, and, and the difference was the expectation. There was an anticipation. And, and I think what happens in, in church, in our walk with God, is, is sometimes we have a little bit of an expectation or we don't have an expectation. There's an excitement when we first begin to follow Him, but it, it, it kind of like fails off. There's, let's be honest, it's kind of like buying a lotto ticket. Like you, you're hoping you win, but in reality, you're kind of you're expecting to lose. It's kind of how we work with God is we kind of like, hey, I really hope he does something in my life, but I'm really, probably nothing's really going to change. And so let's look at Acts chapter 2 because there is something that is happening here that, that leads us to understanding why there should be expectation, why there should be an anticipation in our relationship with God. And so let's go to Acts chapter 2, verse 41 is where we are going to begin. It says, uh, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So let me catch those of you that haven't been with us for the first two weeks of this. We've been walking through the book of Acts. and in the, in the first week, we talked about how uh, Jesus told them to go to Jerusalem and wait. Go wait for the Holy Spirit to be poured out, and so we talked about that. And then that last week we moved through uh, when the Holy Spirit was poured out and how it fulfilled all that all the feasts that uh, God had been giving them from the uh, from Exodus or from Leviticus chapter twenty three. How Jesus fulfilled them specifically on the day of Pentecost, and and so we we walked through that. Now we're we're after all that. This is after the day of Pentecost has happened. Peter has preached to them, and there has been as this verse points out. 3,000 people were saved. Now, there's a couple key things that happened here. So it says they received his word. Uh, some of your translations will say he, they believed. Those that believed what Peter was saying. Those people. Because anytime you have belief, it fo- you follow it up with action. Belief is always followed up by action. And there were added to that day. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. And that his, those that believed his word were Baptized. There, there's something I don't think we spend enough uh, energy and uh, emphasis on, is that when we are saved, when we make a decision to follow him, the immediate response in obedience is to be baptized. So we, we take that step of, of baptism. It's a powerful moment when we are joining Jesus in his death, we're buried with him, and then we're resurrected in a new life. So the, the Bible equates this to us being uh, with him in his death, and with him in his resurrection. So we had this this amazing thing that happens, and then it says that there were three thousand souls saved that day. This is this is one of those things immediately we get into um Well well is that really is it real really true? Is that a real number? Is that really how it happened? Because three thousand that's a lot of people. And how would you baptize three thousand people? Well, okay. So let's just make sure that we understand. Jerusalem at that time was anywhere between. It's hard to tell. Like at that Pentecost, how many people actually lived in Jerusalem? But we can. Uh, we know during this time frame, it ranged from sixty thousand to one hundred twenty thousand. Somewhere in that in that range. So between those two, sixty thousand to one hundred twenty thousand. That's a big range. But let's go with a big number. One hundred twenty thousand people live there, on the day of Pentecost. There were 500,000 people who came from all over the world to, for that day to, to, to fulfill this, the feast of Pentecost. 500,000 people. That's a lot of people. And that's where that, last week we talked about when they, the Holy Spirit was poured out It most likely happened on the, uh, uh, around the temple. And now I, I believe that it happened near the southern stairs. Let me show you. Uh, this is the Temple Mount today. There's the, the, the Golden Dome, and uh, that would have been probably about where the temple in Jesus' day would have been standing. Over here is the southern Stairs. So uh, let's zoom in here a little bit. The same place, there's the southern stairs. They actually would have been taking up this much space. Uh, the Later on, they built this wall. This is a crusader's wall uh, that wasn't there at Jesus' time. So these are the main steps from the south going into the Temple Mount. And at the Temple Mount is where rabbis would have been teaching their disciples. It's where worship services would have been going on. Not, not like we just had. That was amazing worship, but they've been having their worship services. And even today, if you go there on the, on the Sabbath or if you go there um, on, the, uh, on, the, on the feast days, this place is, is rocking. This, this area, especially on the other side here, I mean, it is, it's an exciting atmosphere, And so Jesus would have been on there, uh, and then I believe the disciples were probably in this area. And here's why I I think that this is the area where they were at, because it says 3,000 were baptized. Well, this right here, this area in the square there has just recently in the last 20 years been excavated, and they found 120 mikvahs. Now, what are mikvahs? Mikvahs are this. They're baptismals. That, that's what they, they were. They were, they, they were 120 of these. Now, why would they have 120 mikvahs outside the southern stairs? Because a Jew would have to purify himself, be cleansed, before he could go up into the temple. So what a Jew would have done was walked into the, one of these, would have walked in himself, baptized, immersed himself, and then walked back out, cleansed, and ready to do his worshiping as a Jew. So on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out... And 3,000 respond, and there's this amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And they go, hey, you've now have been baptized. Now you need to take this step and to demonstrate publicly into the world that you are now following the way. You're following Jesus Christ. Let's get baptized. And they're baptized into Jesus Christ. This is where it happened. 3,000. Happened that day. Amazing. So th- there's another picture of a, of a large mikvah uh, closer to the base uh, and so, man, it's it's really cool what, what's going on there. So, after they are have this moment where they believe, take the step of obedience and baptism, and three thousand of them took that step. It says that there's a list of things that take place with this group of three thousand as it grows. It says, and they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching and the fellowship, uh, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And, ah, oh, came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. This is pretty cool stuff, right? This is getting exciting. So we have this amazing day where everything's happening. Now we're having a summary of what's been happening after that day. It says there's signs and wonders and, and miracles. And all who believed were together and had everything in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to those that were in need. And, and then, uh, and, they, uh, and they were... So and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all people and the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. Woo! How am I get excited when you read something like that? Right? Like yes, I want the and. I want that. And that's what, when you came to, to follow Jesus, it probably had something like that. I want to follow Jesus and I want the miracle. I want to follow Jesus and I want my life to be transformed and find freedom from addiction. I want to find Jesus. I want to follow Jesus and I want my marriage to be salvaged. I want to follow Jesus and I want to learn the biblical uh, understanding of, of financial things and and walk in freedom so that I can help those that are in need. I I, I want the and. How many want an and? I want Jesus and. The difference is, is we have to understand that there's something that's before the end. It says the first thing that that we have to understand is it says that there was. Uh, that there was, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, and they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. It, this is where it, it's, it's something that we, we've kind of missed out on, on, on following Jesus. See, we understand devotion. Devotion is something we get. You, I, I love this definition. This is from the Oxford uh, Dictionary. It says, to de- devote something to means to give all or most of one's time or resources to a person or an activity. So we, we get that definition. I mean, that makes sense to us because we, we understand devotion. We, we've seen devotion in action. We understand when people uh, are devoted. I'll give you a good example. Uh, I was reading recently a, a book by Tim Grover. He's the athlete, he was the train, physical trainer for, um, um, for, for Kobe Bryant. For Dwayne Wade, Michael Jordan, uh, he, he, and so I, I was reading a book, it's called Relentless. Uh, he's got some good points. He's also like, co- totally sold out on some issues that go way too far, uh, but because he talks about being devoted. He, he, talk, he gives a, a story about Kobe Bryant, how he w- woke up one morning to a phone call at 3.30 a.m., and he looks at the caller ID, and it's Kobe Bryant, and he says, hey, he's worried. He thinks it's an emergency, something's happened. So he, he calls, he answers the phone, and it's Kobe, and he says, hey, man, what's, what's wrong? And Kobe goes, hey, I'm over here at the gym conditioning. I'm conditioning at 3.30 in the morning, and I, I, I hit a wall, and I need, I need some help to get over it. By the time he gets up, gets ready, gets over to the gym, he is, uh, it's 4.30 in the morning, and Tim Grover finds Kobe Bryant soaked he said it looked like he had just gotten out of the pool he'd been working that hard at 4 30 a.m. see we love the stories of Mamba we love it when he's he's hitting the game-winning shots we love it when we talk about how many points he averaged and all that but we we see we, we understand the results of devotion but we normally don't see the devotion see devotion got the results Uh, Wayne Gretzky another amazing superstar of sports NHL's greatest scorer and they asked him hey how how have you become the greatest scorer and he says I don't skate to where the puck is I skate to where the puck is going to be ah great quote I've even used it man we got we got to be going where God's going you know that's a great quote except for how do you do that on the ice rink because I, I don't understand hockey. I, I, I like watching hockey because they fight a lot. That's what I understand about hockey. So how, how do you do that on the rink? Well, somebody asked uh, Wayne Gretzky, how, how, did you, how did you learn to go and skate to where the puck is going? He says, it was when I was a child, I would watch the game. I would sit down, watch an entire game with a blank. I would start with a blank sheet of paper and a pencil. And I would trace it as I watched where the puck went. Every single time, The entire game, watching where the puck went and how it would react to the point that he knew where the puck was going before the puck even started going in that direction. Devotion, we get it. We understand it in our in our business. We understand if we were we understand in our academics. If we're going to be the best, you know, we're going to become the valedictorian. I've got to work hard. I've got to devote my time to the academics so that I can be at that level. There's some of you that are annoying, and we all hate you, but most of us, if we're going to get to that level, it's going to be, we're going to have to educate, we're going to have to push ourselves, we're going to have to get into it and get to that level and devote ourselves to it. We understand it in in our careers, if I'm going to get to the next level in my career, I'm going to have to devote myself to where I'm at and push myself and give my time and my resources and devote myself to that, because the bottom line is this, what what you are devoted to is what will be developed. What you are devoted to is what will be developed. Now, we, we get that when it comes to uh, the you know, physical things. We get it when it comes to financial things. We get it when it comes to uh, the academics and athletics and all that. We get it. But we don't get it when we read a verse in Acts that says they devoted themselves to and, and, and. See, we want the and. Without the devotion. We want the and. Without the devotion. Jesus warned us that this couldn't happen. In Luke chapter 16 verse 13. He says no one can serve two masters. For you will hate one. And love the other. You will be devoted to one. And despise the other. You cannot serve God. And be enslaved to money. Here's what he's saying: is that you have to be devoted to one thing or another, and what you devote yourself to is what will be developed in your life. Psalms 119 said the psalmist wrote, I will walk in freedom, for I have devoted myself to your commandments. See, we, we want this. We want the results, we want the freedom, we want those things. We want the end. But we have to devote ourselves to his commandments. See, daily devotion is better than a yearly resolution. We have to find ourselves devoted. So let's get down to to the practical stuff. What did they devote themselves that made them experience the freedom in God? Three things. The first one is they devoted themselves to apostolic teaching. In your notes, put it down this way. They devoted themselves to right teaching. They devoted themselves to write, teaching. We live in an uh, information age. You, you, can, you can get information at a drop of, of the hat. Uh, hey, hey, uh, Surrey. Hey, Surrey. What time do the Cavs play tonight? The Cavaliers are not playing today. Their next game against the Knicks is tomorrow at. I can get information of all kinds of sorts. Hey, hey, Suri, how bad is a rattlesnake bite? Here's what I found. Uh, websites, rattlesnake bites, symptoms, treatments, and recovery timeline. Hope none of you have to deal with that. You can know things at a drop of a hat by, by, by just like this quick. Just, just by asking. Suri, here's the problem. Let's have a conversation with somebody. Their daughter had been, had gotten arrested and had gone through uh, some serious issues uh, drug-related. Um, she had gotten herself addicted uh, on painkillers. And uh, they didn't know it. They didn't see it ha- coming, and, and it just hit, hit them in the face. And as the conversation went on and they, they began to dig through it deeper, they went to her iPhone, and they went back through her website history. And about seven months before she was arrested, she had started researching... How do I deal with depression? She was getting answers. Answers that led her down the wrong path. And her dad said, I just wish you would have came to me first. See, we can get answers of all kinds of sorts. And our kids today, they can get answers. They don't have to come and have that awkward talk with mom and dad because they can get an answer without ever having a discussion with you. And, and And that's all that's good and it's i mean it's good that they can get answers but the problem is, is there's a disconnect from what is right and what is wrong proverbs 14 12 says there is a path before each person that seem right seems right but ends in death so we have to know that we're following the right teaching not just a teaching see there's lots of teaching out there you're constantly being taught every commercial is teaching you something They're trying to teach you to buy, why you should buy their product and how you can buy it. They're teaching you that. Every time you you go through Facebook, you're looking at a bunch of scrolls that are trying to teach you their opinion and why their opinion is right. And you're intolerant if you don't agree. Don't tell them they're wrong because they're right, you're intolerant, and they will be intolerant to your intoleration. We, we we constantly being taught. It's coming at us from all its sides. So how do we find out what is the right teaching? This isn't anything new. Paul, Paul saw this coming in, in uh, pro, uh, I'm sorry, Acts 20, 29. He, he's leaving some of his last instructions with some folks and with one of the churches he's at. And he says, I know that false teachers, like vicious wolves, will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. They're going to come. False teaching is coming. And when you believe the false teaching, it's going to lead you down a path that's going to lead you to death. What's the right teaching? Paul, Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 10, he says, I'm trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. To the church in Ephesus, he says... Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. So, so then he's, I, I love how he wraps it all up in Colossians. He says, this is how you teach correctly, right teaching, and him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This verse bookends right teaching. In him, Jesus Christ. That is right teaching. If you, see, this is, when I, when I give you those notes, and we have an amazing team that puts them all together and puts those message guys together, but when I'm printing them or getting the, the paperwork ready and putting them together, my goal with that is to give you as many scriptures as possible because it isn't my opinion you came to hear if you ever come here to hear my opinion please find another church if you ever come here and we don't teach from the word of god and if we're going and we're talking and we're preaching we're giving you good motivation and it's good principles but it's not from the word of god please leave quickly amen josh that's good preaching you need to understand right teaching always points you to Jesus Christ, always points you. Take a quick scan through the, the Acts, and what, what is this apostolic teaching? Acts chapter 3, verse 11 through 26, uh, Peter heals a lame man, and Pe- everybody's like, wow, look at this, man, what an amazing thing, and Peter goes, hey, it's not about me, it's all about Jesus. Then he gets arrested for that same one in Acts chapter 4. That same healing, they, they get all worried about it. And he comes before the Sanhedrin. And they say, How, what power did you do this? And he goes, it's not about me. Don't look to me. Look to Jesus. Look, look to Jesus. In, in Acts chapter 5, there's, more miracles are taking place. And the Pharisees are getting all, all tensed up. And it says they arrest Peter a second time. And the angel comes and releases them. They bring them back and arrested again. And it's a funny story. Uh, he says, hey, what, what, they could say, we told you not to talk about who? Jesus. And he goes, I, I can't. Can't stop talking about Jesus. When Stephen is martyred, what does he talk about? Right before he's uh, stoned to death, he is talking about Jesus. He takes the Old Testament and wraps it up and brings it all the way to Jesus. Apostolic teaching points people to Jesus. Your right teaching needs to lead you to Jesus. So what you're pr- taking in better be leading you to Jesus. Test what you're learning from. it so pointing you to Jesus. So we, we want the, the and, but are we willing to be devoted to the teaching of Jesus Christ? The second thing is, is in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, "...they devoted themselves to the apostolic teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread." The fellowship and the breaking of bread. Did I? Nope. So, yes, they put it up there. You need to be devoted to right relationships. You need to be devoted to right relationships. Now, here, here's the key that word fellowship there is a word in the Greek is koinea. Koinea is that word. It looks funky, and there it is. Koinea. Koinea, though, is more than just uh, fellowship. Because in our, in our vernacular, even if you bring in the church vernacular, I grew up, we had. Fellow, food, fellowship, and fun, right? What'd that mean? Potluck dinner, right? Everybody's gonna bring some food. We're gonna eat. We're gonna talk. But fellowship was way more than just hanging out and eating. Fellowship and the Koinea, the same word is used to describe a relationship between a husband and a wife. It's an intimate relationship. It's a partnership is what a better word to describe here. They were in partnership, meaning I. they knew each other's Strengths, they knew each other's weaknesses. See, koinonia is where we know each other so well that we know where you're struggling. See, this is the problem with, with church. I, uh, let, me, let me get on a little soapbox for a second. I'll hear somebody say something along the lines. Sometimes it's even when people come from one church to our church, and they'll say, well, that church didn't meet my needs. The first question I ask, okay, they didn't meet your needs, did you tell them what your needs were? See, there's no way for us to meet needs if we don't know what needs are. For needs to be met, it requires two things. One, a person willing to meet the need. And two, a a person willing to be vulnerable enough to admit they have a need. See, there's no way for a church to help you with your need if your marriage is breaking and falling apart behind closed doors. There's no way for us to help you. There's no way for us, to, for the church to come alongside you if you're having financial needs if we don't know there's a financial need. Too many times we find out too late there was a need. Just like the, uh, the, the father with his daughter, he found out a little too late that she had a need because she wasn't willing to communicate with the father she had a need. See, this is, the, this is so valuable. of what, what God asks us to do is in, in, what we, in what we try to do in connect groups because it's, it's koinea. See this right here? Please don't get up right now and share your sins with us. Please don't. This isn't the place. But there's a time where you're going to find somebody that you're going to trust. You're going to come alongside you, and they're going to be able to either meet your need or know how they can, your need can be met. The, the, the second thing that's there is that they, to the breaking of bread. Uh, <laughs> so let me come back to that. Because this is a cultural thing. We, we immediately, when I, we'd say, that we're going to break the bread, in a Christian context, we immediately go to what? Communion. See, we think that breaking of the bread, oh, that one don't come out, is this. And guess what? It is. This is a symbol of the breaking of bread that we're supposed to participate in. But it isn't just about having a piece of bread and some juice that makes this the breaking of the bread. See, the breaking of the bread is something much more culturally relevant. They, they, when they broke bread, were saying to each other that we are equal. It's even today in the Middle East, if you go to some place... I I had the opportunity to be in a... uh, When we were in Israel about 10 years ago, we went uh, out into the middle of this field. In the middle of the field was some Bedouin uh, shepherds, people that lived in tents. And as we're walking towards them, they invited us into their tent, and they served us food and drink. These were poor people who brought us into their home to feed us. What they were saying is, we are welcoming you in. We are in relationship with each other. It's equality. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 14. He tells a story of um, how they? Uh, he, he's at a banquet and he's w- with all these people and he says, hey, those of you that are going and sitting next to the to the host and trying to get all chummy with the host and getting real tight with him, uh, you guys need to learn something. You need, you're going to get moved to the back. But the guy who came in and started serving and started s- w- with all those people and sat in the back row, that guy... He's going to get moved to the front because the host is going to come in and say, well done, come move up with me. You deserve to sit here. See, it's, it's so much more than just communion. It's representing equality. But we struggle with this because we think if somebody comes in and we show them hospitality and we eat with them or we break bread with them, and even in some denominations, they won't let you break bread with them unless you're part of their uh, organization, that, that they're... They are agreeing with you. See, when, we, when they said they were breaking bread, they were accepting you. That didn't mean they had to agree with you. Acceptance does not equal agreeance. We can't, we, we need to be a church that breaks bread with our world. That's why these doors will be open to those that we disagree with. Even if we come in here and they say, I don't even believe in Jesus. That's okay. We're going to break bread because we're accepting you as a child of the creator of God. And we're welcoming you in. That doesn't mean we agree with them. It means we're accepting them. That's what they did. There was equality. There was relationships. They were connecting. This is why you need, don't just want to be in a connect group. You need to be in a connect group. Our kids right now are learning about the Good Samaritan. The verse they're using is going to be from Job. Job chapter 34, verse 19. And God created us all and he has no favorites, whether rich or poor. I encourage you, when you leave here this morning, those of you that have kids back there, let's be a place, let's be a family that accepts people even when we don't agree with them. Then we have this, uh, the third thing that they devoted themselves to, is they devoted themselves to the prayers they devoted themselves to prayer see I, I, when you look at the book of acts it's it's interesting cuz luke you got to remember these people were writing messages for uh, writing this book and they had they had to use an economy of words that's why he it says they, they sailed from here and went to there and it looks like it took like you know they went here and went there that was a day travel no it took them 4 weeks to get there this this was it's a it's an economy of words But Luke, for some reason, repeats over and over with every group that the apostles meet with that they did one thing. They prayed. Why would they do this over and over and over again? Why would they come back and have prayer over and over again? Because it wasn't just something they did. It was their lifestyle. And Luke wanted to communicate clearly to us that prayer is something we need to be doing constantly. Ephesians, Paul said this. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, it says, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. That doesn't mean you go around mumbling under your breath constantly. It means about every situation, you bring it to God in prayer. Every situation. Why? Why would we do this? I got four things. Write these down. I'm going to close with this is that we have four things, reasons why we need to come to prayer. One, prayer reduces anxiety prayer reduces anxiety it, it's see we, worry the word worry in the english literally mean it comes from the root word to strangle it means to strangle we're borrowing trouble from the future and worrying about it today See, we're, we're dealing with things twice what we worry about most reveals where we trust god the least what we worry about the most is where we trust God the least. The se- second thing is that uh, prayer releases control. It can't be your problem and God's problem at the same time. First Peter five seven, he says, "Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you." The third thing it does is it resets your thinking. We're, we're bombarded with all these things all this information constantly coming at us and our thinking will go with what is coming in and what prayer does is it takes us to a place where we're, we d- disconnect from those things and get focused on his things and we allow ourselves to to be where he needs us to be and, and get where he wants us to be focused on Philippi- philippians 4 8 says think on these things so some of you you need to finish out these 21 days of prayer and fasting and maybe it will be to take three days of no social media. Stop worrying about what they want you to think about. Stop being focused on what that wants you to be focused on. Be focused on what he needs you to be focused on. And finally, prayer realigns my needs and wants. Here's what happens. This is why their, prayer, their prayers were so important. And why they were able to live in the and. Prayer takes you from coming to God going, I need... I need, Jesus, I need, Jesus, I need, to go going, oh, Jesus, you've given. And then your heart will begin to adjust to going, I need, to how can I give? How can I give? This is, this is see, prayer, prayer doesn't move God towards us. It moves us toward God. If you want breakthrough, if you want the ands, it's not going to happen in your circumstances. It's going to begin in you begins in you by you saying i am devoting myself i'm devoting myself to right teaching i'm devoting myself to to write uh to to write uh what's this right relationships and i'm devoting myself to prayer lord jesus thank you for your anointing thank you for for this this message and, and looking at these disciples in the book of acts who devoted themselves and as a result were able to live in the end. God, I pray that for this church right now, that we're able to devote ourselves and to be challenged to to take a step and to give our time and our resources to what needs developed in our life. Lord, I pray an anointing on this church in Jesus' name. Amen.